This is the Protestant Libertarian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. I really hope that you guys enjoy today's show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Protestant Libertarian Podcast. I have a short one for you today. There was a really great article that I read on a website called 1517.org. And actually, if you remember, it was sometime in the fall last year, I read an article on the show called The Freakonomics of Jesus that was published over on 1517 that I thought was a really great take on the way that Jesus approached economic issues. And we were able to discuss a lot of concepts related to the Bible and economics in that episode. And I will put a link to that in the show notes for you. But this 1517.org. I really don't know that much about this organization other than they have written some articles that I thought were really, really good. And there was one that was published back in the fall, or maybe it was early December, and it's called The Fact of Our Need for a King. And I read through this. This is published December 14th, actually, 2023. And I read through this and thought this is going to be such a great episode, such a great article to share with the listeners of this show. Now, I shared this article on Twitter, but I know that a lot of you guys that listen to the show are not on Twitter. And if you're not on Twitter, good for you, because because it's mostly a garbage dump full of horrible takes by people that don't know what they're talking about. So if you can stay off of Twitter uh, for as long as possible, I commend you for that. Honestly, I only got on social media. I only got on Twitter because of this podcast and wanting to promote it. And there are plenty of times where I have thought to myself, man, I kind of wish I hadn't have done that. But my show would not have been able to grow without Twitter. So I'm, I'm thankful for it as a, as a tool. Um, but again, the point that I'm making here is that uh, you can definitely take things way too far on the internet. And for those of you that are not on Twitter, you would have not have seen me post this article. And I know that a lot of you guys are busy people and you don't have time to sit down and read an article. And that's fine. I wanted to make sure that I had an opportunity to share this article with you on my show. Obviously, this is going to be a bonus midweek episode. And I'm not going to add a lot of commentary. The article is really good. It's very short. I just want to read through it real quick and give you guys an opportunity to think over some of the consequences of this article. Because I think for Christians, and especially those of us that are more libertarian or free market oriented Christians, there's a lot of really, really great information and a lot of really good thoughts in this article. So I wanted to share that with you guys today, um, just to give you something to think about halfway through the week. So the article is called The Fact of Our Need for a King. It's written by John Bambara, who I actually think wrote the original article that I discussed on Jesus and Economics back in the fall. Uh, so obviously his work is very, very good, since this is the second time we've been covering on his show. And the subtitle of this, this article, The Fact of Our Need for a King, is we still think we can sort our own problems with more money, more education, more resources, more techniques, more more, more, more. So let's go ahead and get into the article because it's really, really good. And I'm not going to stop and comment on a lot of it like I normally do because I just, I, there's no need to. I think you guys are going to see the importance and the significance of this article, especially as it relates to the themes that we cover on this show. So it says this, the principal metaphor in the Bible is that of kingdom. From its opening pages, it directs us to read each line, paragraph, chapter, and book through the lens of kingdom. It is an axiomatic hermeneutical principle. Consider how Genesis depicts God enthroned, issuing forth his royal decree, let there be light, to which there can only be one response, and it was so. Adam is fashioned as the Lord's viceroy, and with Eve there together, a king and queen purposed to image forth the divine likeness and dominion. This was the way the ancient world understood itself and its surroundings, people, relations, structures. We were made by a king for a king, and that's because we have a basic need for a king. Advent heralds the good news of the return of the world's rightful king, and so he who satisfies the fundamental needs of mankind, namely to be loved and to be governed 
in love. Neither our first parents nor the ancients invented the kingdom paradigm, and yet it spread to the four corners of the world. King and kingdom were baked in from the beginning, the very beginning, just as Isaiah reiterates, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, declares the Lord, Isaiah 66, 1. When man became conscious of himself, he was at the same time conscious that he was a servant of the Lord and that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, Psalm 24, 1 through 2. Indeed, the movement from Genesis 1 to chapter 2, that is, upon the creation of our first parents, comes the parameters of their relationship to the Creator. He is the Lord God, 2-4. Mankind has a king, and it is the Lord God. The great king is the Lord and God of all. In the law, he establishes the boundaries of his kingdoms and limitations for mankind. But this king is also a great God of love, as we heard during the first week of Advent. In his great love, he loves, fashioning humanity in his regal likeness and issuing a royal land grant. The earth, the law too, is given from a disposition of love. It's for our own good, his good for us. He even endows Adam and Eve with the Holy Spirit that their posterity may abound in divine love and obedience, Genesis 2-7. And things continued that way until chapter 3, that is, until the theocracy was despoiled by autocracy. And since that day, each and every government, from nations to autonomous free agents, from federations to families, has been permeated by corruption, self-interest, and deed by sin. The world as it was divinely created in regal goodness and such that it has become under our all-too-human governing establishes the fact of our need for a king." Advent heralds the coming of the king and the reclamation of his global kingdom as the world's rightful lord. What makes Advent particularly good news is that the king comes not wielding his right to take that which is properly his according to the law, but but to give according to the gospel. The king comes to rule by grace, mercy, truth, peace, and love, and to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 16-25. That makes Advent, so far from being potentially the worst news given the disasters of our self-governing, the greatest possible news. We need a king. It was that way from the beginning and it was that way for our own good. We need the wisdom, care, and love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to govern us, lest we remain ever blinded by the illusion of self-governing and the enslavements of the world's pharaohs, Caesars, philosophers, politicians, and elites. The pattern is there throughout history and still needs to be relearned with every succeeding generation. When we engage in self-rule, our self-delusion of self-sufficiency leads to self-initiated disaster. Every human government, every earthly kingdom has had its day, has come and gone and suffered the same consequences of the same pattern. Our self-delusion of self-sufficiency leads to self-initiated disaster. Notwithstanding your political affiliation or choice of politician or even your passion for the movement of the moment, the cycle continues unabated, unalterable, inevitably because human nature cannot change human nature. When the blind lead the blind, both fall into a pit. This establishes the second fact of our need for a king. We've always failed at this endeavor of self-government and we always will. We need a king, a king with the ability to govern differently over us than the way we self-govern, and with the ability to govern within us because only we one who has the power of supernature, i.e. supernatural power, can change an otherwise unchangeable human nature. And the one thing about unaltered human nature is that it just cannot, will not have the Lord God be king over us because we all believe we are justified in the way that we do things, the way that we see things, the way that we want things to be. Self-justification then is the pretender upon the throne, ruling in a tyrannical way. When we're not able to enthrone ourselves because uh, we can't get others to always choose our way, then the kind of kings we choose always seem to reflect the kinds of positions and rhetoric that reflect our own self-justifying positions and rhetoric. Either way, we still think we can sort our, our own problems with more money, more education, more resources, more techniques, just more, more, more. We think our institutions, or now especially our technologies, are the answers, but they always betray us. There's a boomerang effect. Things bite back. And others, well, it turns out they didn't have our best interest to hearts because they, too, are given to self-delusion and self-justification. Our contemporary situation, just like every other time and place, needs a king. 
We are like sheep without a shepherd, a people without a king. We constantly choose the wrong kind of people and worse kinds of things to lord over us. Politicians, alcohol, drugs, the internet, technocrats, status, brand loyalty, fattish trends, coolness, subcultural identities, likes. Pop culture shows us that we gravitate towards mob mentality, that we're readily susceptible to cults of personality, groupthink, and mass formation psychosis. Notwithstanding, the good news of Advent tells us about a long-awaited king. Immediately after our first parents' treasonous affair, the Lord Lord God promised such a king that God would be king again on the earth through the likes of one like Adam, a son of Adam and yet son of God, that this promised one would crush the dominion of the serpent and restore God's rule on earth in men and through a man. The promise would become richer and thicker as Israel's history unfolded. Moses would speak of his coming. Over and over, the prophets heightened expectations for a king of God's choosing who would be a brother Jew, yet somehow the Lord God himself, climaxing in the prophecy of Isaiah, who states that the government shall be called upon his shoulder or shall be on upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this isaiah 9 6 through 7 further guiding us israel's ancient scriptures are framed with a narrative an unfinished narrative of a certain shape and type the old testament leaves us with the sense that this story is supposed to be going somewhere, but that it hasn't gotten there yet. Indeed, both scripture and human history posit an overwhelming need for someone to take charge, someone to reset the course of humanity, someone to lord over a people oppressed by harsh overlords and self-inflicted by the delusion of self-sufficiency. Moving into the first century, we have an unfinished biblical narrative, but also an unfinished governmental agenda. Self-governing has failed. Caesar and his proxy kings are on the throne, and yet the best kingdom of this world can offer is the Pax Romana, the tip of the spear, or the threat of crucifixion. When humanity rules over each other as the apex of governing, what we get is the likes of Caesar or, closer to realities today, isms, world wars, cancellation, messianic personalities and movements. Then, following the intertestamental period, we turn the page to Matthew 1 to hear the sound of trumpets heralding the good news. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, Matthew 1.1. His name alone, Jesus Christ, or sometimes better, Christ Jesus, means that Jesus is king, Jesus is reigning, Jesus is Lord. This is the man of God's choosing, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. Advent brings the news of a reordering of the way humanity can be governed and by whom. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 7. The us suggests the entire world may be governed by Christ Jesus. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin is Mary. She conceives, not she and her husband conceive, but she alone, so that the promise may be fulfilled that the coming king would be the offspring or seed of the woman, not the seed of a man. Rather, this one is conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a woman, a designation evocative of Eve herself. He then is the God-man, truly the world's rightful king. Jesus has come as king to rule over us and by his spirit rule within us according to his word and through his sacraments. It results from divine love. The consequence is freedom. Bound to him, we are free from the tyranny of self-rule and the oppressive lording of other people and things. The power of the isms is broken. We are free to love by the spirit, sin to govern our hearts by the word and through the sacraments and the kingdom come the holy church what is more even our consciences are liberated as we are graciously justified by him fulfilling all that we must but never do and taking the penalty for that which we do
Advent announces what we confess to be a fact. We have need of a king, a king who is at the same time a savior of his people and one who can translate us into a kingdom of peace and joy. One is at the same time the Lord God and the true son of David, one who loves and governs by a spirit of love. The fact of Advent for St. Paul gives way to the fact of the gospel. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born under a woman or born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Okay, a really, really great article there. And I'm glad that we had the chance to listen to it. Now, I understand that this was written for the period of time leading up to Christmas that we call Advent. And I actually have a theory, uh, something that I've been thinking about over the last couple of years as I become more and more disillusioned with American Christmas. I really do believe that the meaning of the season in December is Advent, the awaiting of the return of the Messiah and the celebration of the birth of the Messiah 2,000 years ago. That's really what the Christmas story should be all about. And I, I can't I can't I can't shake the feeling that American Christmas has become little more than a pagan holiday. We're so focused on the presents and we're so focused on the parties and we're so focused on all of the the decorations and the trappings that come with Christmas that we completely forget that the message of Christmas is all about God sending us the long-awaited Davidic Messiah. Christmas is about our need for a king and Advent is the appropriate way to celebrate that leading us up to Christmas. And I hope that as you, you th- and I know, you know, Christmas was a couple weeks ago, so I, we're, we're a, few, a few weeks late on this, but it should give us something to think about all year long. The Christmas story is relevant all year. It's not just something that we think about on December 25th and then forget There's so much of significance that's built into the narrative of Advent and the story of Christmas, and we've almost completely lost that. And ultimately, it's all about Jesus being born the King. And I thought this article did such a great job, such a great job of outlining those basic ideas. So I'm glad you guys got an opportunity to hear this. Hopefully, you'll listen to this episode a couple of times and really have this sink in to your mind. Go and check out the article on 1517.org. Of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes here. And I hope that this gives you guys something to think about as you go throughout your week. Jesus is king, and that has to be central to the way that we as Christians understand the world and our philosophical, our political, and our personal commitments. Thank you guys so much for listening to the end of another very short episode of the Protestant Libertarian Podcast, and we will be back with another excellent episode on Tuesday. We'll see you guys then. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Protestant Libertarian Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me at theprotestantlibertarian at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. You can follow me at the handle at ProLibertyPod. Again, that is at ProLibertyPod. And you can also visit me at theprotestantlibertarianpodcast.com. At theprotestantlibertarianpodcast.com, you can also support the Christians for Liberty Network and the Libertarian Christian Institute. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, and we will see you next Tuesday.